Greetings, friends. My name is Jessa McLean, and I'm here to provide you with some blueprints of disruption. This weekly podcast is dedicated to amplifying the work of activists, examining power structures, and sharing the success stories from the grassroots. Through these discussions, we hope to provide folks with the tools and the inspiration they need to start to dismantle capitalism, decolonize our spaces, and bring about the political revolution that we know we need. Can you still smell smoke? I'm in Ontario, just south of Lake Simcoe, and still today when I walk outside, I can taste campfire in my mouth. And quite literally, Canada is on fire. And like, this isn't hyperbole. Just exploring what's going on online in order to do this episode, I was horrified by the numbers of forest fires and evacuations that are from coast to coast. Santiago and I wanted to jump in the studio to talk about this. One, you know, deliver the bad news, get a bigger perspective on it, but also to look at the human impact that climate change is having on Canadians right now. So let's start by getting a picture of just how bad it is. But don't worry, we are going to end on a hopeful note. But it's bad. Almost every province, save for very few, are having record-breaking numbers, and we're just in early June. So we first, I think, started paying attention to this wildfire season that we, we now call it in Alberta. Right. We started to see comrades online talking about being evacuated uh, just on Discord chat today. You know, we had a comrade on there who was talking about family that had lost a lot, lost structures and regalia. You know, that started in really early May too, really early on in this fire season. We're talking about like twenty nine thousand people were evacuated from their homes um, you know, the Canadian Armed Forces needed to be brought in, and that smoke traveled as far as Scandinavia. Uh, BC, you know, is dealing with its usual dry spring, unusually dry spring. And even though it's not making big news, they had their second biggest wildfire on record, uh, a Do- the Donny Creek fire. That we kind of expect, right? In recent history, there have been awful, awful fires increasingly awful fires out west, right? Like we're going back to the 2016 Fort McMurray fire and, you know, just in 2021, uh, the Lighten fire uh, devastated these communities. So I think still we thought we were isolated from this problem. Um, But the East Coast is not immune to the forest fires. Newfoundland and Labrador had 34 wildfires before May 1st, right? So they're outpacing their season last season, and which by comparison only saw two fires. Nova Scotia has had the largest fire season so far. 200 structures just in the suburbs of Halifax alone burnt to the ground. And, you know, folks are who are displaced by this, like we're talking about tens of thousands of folks in, in all of these provinces that are heavily affected. Like folks in Nova Scotia got a check for $500. How's that going to even cost all of your expenses for being displaced out of your home for a few days, knowing like the cost of hotels and food? Like people are just not really being supported through these. And uh, surely now the world's attention has now turned to the Quebec wildfires that are causing incredible amounts of smoke here in Ontario 
and now New York, right? <laughs> I think it was the New York Times. The article was Blame Canada, and it's like a really sepia tone photograph of the New York City skyline is just as hazy as it's ever been. The Quebec wildfires are no joke. You know, like 14,000 people were evacuated in June. That's they're already having their worst season on record again, you know, and like Ontario, like I'll mention later on in, in a couple minutes, they've stripped a lot of the resources that they had to fight these fires and almost all of it to prevent them. Right. All of the funding that goes into prevent the fires is like gravy. And um, Quebec even admitted, you know, they have 153 fires burning that they cannot bring under control, right? They only have the resources to even consider 20 to 30 fires in fighting 20 to 30 fires. Like, that is astonishing. The rest of the fires are just left out of control until, you know, like, international aid comes in, uh, which is apparently what we're relying on in a lot of these provinces. But, like, Santiago, is this the first time for me... So yeah, Santiago is here, by the way. <laughs> um, but for me, I've talked about it on the show before that I have never really felt climate anxiety. I understand the urgency. I, you know, I buy into the science. I understand it's a priority, all of that. But I never, and I experience a lot of anxiety for the record. So I know exactly what it feels like. But I never had that climate anxiety that a lot of friends have described to us, right? I think that is not solely for a younger generation, but, you know, either way, it didn't, it didn't impact me until now. And it's one of those, not until it really affects you, do you fully grasp, you know, the urgency or the importance of something, but, you know, choking on smoke for three days, four days, I think will do that to you. You know, are you hopeful other people are getting a little bit of a wake-up call? I mean, I really, really hope so. Right now, I feel, I mean, we know, like, the, the golden horseshoe, which has been affected by this, is the largest concentration of um, people in Canada. And for the most part, never have had to deal with any particularly large climate emergencies. It's relatively tame here. And suddenly seeing the city covered in smoke, spending a few minutes outside and start coughing, get, uh, having a hard time breathing, short of breath, you know. That's not something anyone here has ever experienced before in, in, in this context. And then also New York City, right? I mean, we're talking about uh, two out of four of the largest cities in North America, right? For anyone who thought, like, they were immune from this, that this was just an issue for California, for BC. No, no well, nobody is immune to the effects of, of climate change. So I, I hope that they're starting to realize. I mean, for me, this is definitely it's not the first time experiencing climate anxiety. It's been... I, I, like what what I'm experiencing, I think I, I would actually call more climate frustration because for me, like I remember when I was in, in, in grade one, I think I, I talk about something like my if I, I've tried to pinpoint like my radicalization. I think my radicalization began with uh, learning about the effects of climate change. And I remember 
that was something I like I used to care so much about that in elementary school and I used to think you know oh well there's so much time you know we'll take care of this there's no way that we don't solve this problem you know and and, and I used to say like I'm gonna grow up and 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 solve climate change uh, as a, as any kid would arrogantly think that they could single-handedly do but um the climate frustration is the fact that like just you know seeing the exactly what you said was going to happen begin to happen where you live is it's like you know you don't want to say like i told you so you just want to like yell and like scream and like you know it's 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 infuriating that like of course this was going to happen right like but i think people still felt like it was further off than this it's often spoken about like the next generation what will they have to look forward to but i i mean that generation is now here you know they're staying inside for recess because there's too much smoke outside you know because the air quality levels are the worst they've ever been in history and yeah when you talk about how like the 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 size of the population that in the past few days has intimately experienced the smoke now will they all attribute it to climate change no we know that not even our premier here in ontario wants to attribute it to climate change right he's just blaming campers and asking them to please avoid you know lighting fires while they go camping but i think a lot of people will make that connection right like but i don't know you know when (laughs) of course online isn't the best gauge right when you go on and post about this um the responses it's it's arson it's human activity it's just that the vegetation is dry and you know you're like not even now you're still not making the connection like you're not bothering to actually read into it and it's particularly frustrating in this part of the world, like I could understand somebody who lived um, in, in in an area of the world with less seasons, um, maybe being a bit more hesitant, not even I, I still don't understand it. But like I remember seeing slowly over the course of time how, you know, it snows later and later in the year, we get less and less snow. Like I used to remember uh, seeing snow sometimes in October definitely i was building snow forts in november right like i I remember that and now you know sometimes it's mid-december you still haven't really gotten a proper snowfall and where were our april showers you know like there has been almost no rain this spring like i don't have the numbers but i have a garden and i know i have to water it way too often you know i was the people in Alberta were calling for rain. Uh, Quebec has had very little rain. Same with BC. It's been like a record dry season. And folks need to understand, like, that's the trend. That's every year we keep breaking precipitation records in the wrong direction. And then, you know, wonder wondering why our wildfires are out of control. And, you know, the way we manage the land is just atrocious as well. Like, it doesn't take into account that these things can happen. And and it's not just us either. Like, I know we're, we're talking about Canadian wildfires, but, like, I know that there's been wildfires all over Europe in the last few years. I remember I was in, 
in Portugal uh, in 2018, and they were talking about the wildfires back then. And Australia has been dealing with their wildfires in the past year. You know, this is the entire world is catching fire. <laughs> like the world is literally on fire. That that was like a metaphor and a joke, haha, before. But like the world has literally been on fire for a few years now. It's literally how we picture the apocalypse, you know, the orange smoke and fires burning everywhere. And um, it's scary. And like, I mean, I, I was I was joking about how, you know, when Bay Street and Wall Street have to choke the same air as the rest of us, hopefully something good will come from that. And when they're not in their Teslas with, uh, what do they call it? Bio weapon grade air filter, whatever the fuck. I know, I teased you. I was like, I don't know. Rich people can afford a lot of air purifiers and trips to places that don't have a smoke cloud. And, and they, I, they, they can also afford tickets to baseball games where they have to choke down the same smoke like a lot of people. I, I was seeing a lot of pictures in New York from the baseball stadium uh, showing like, the, the the air quality like they could see all the smoke i mean I, they still like to go outside you know they want to have their their patio brunches and yada yada right like you can't you can't escape it none of us can escape it the only way no, you can that escape is it, reality only way to escape it is if you live in like that futuristic city that saudi arabia wants to build you know like the one that's like a, a big line that's like few stories high and it's enclosed like maybe like if you're in dubai you can escape it but no like here you you want to go like you want to spend time outside you got to choke on the same air as the rest of us and and really like at what point is do, do they start realizing hey this is not worth it it's not worth it like i was so angered by the idea or the prospect that this might be a normal occurrence for us you know, that we will have another three days, four days of smoke or every spring, you know, we're going to have to plan for this smoky season in the way that other communities have to plan for fire season. And I know it's so uh, naive for me to think like I wouldn't have ever been impacted, but, you know, it wasn't really until it hit full force and yeah, I'm really pissed off, too. It really kind of sparked an anger. Not The anxiety is there, but it also came with a lot of anger because you're seeing these patterns that you mentioned, like, around the world and in B.C. and California. And it's obvious to everybody watching, but the people that are supposed to be leading us are sitting around, shrugging their shoulders, doing nothing, or worse. You know, Ontario cut 60 67% of the emergency forest firefighting budget. 67%, like that's gutted. The whole Ministry of Natural Resources and Forestry budget was just absolutely gutted by the conservatives who then turn around and the only thing they have to say is like, hey, campers, even the air quality, the only people that were providing any information on what to do with this air quality was really like the news, and a few of your local um, health authorities. What do we call them? We don't call them that. Anyway, yeah, the public health authorities, you know, like the same local authorities that forward poo-poos when it comes to reactions. We're the only people providing any information 
you know, that we should wear a mask or people with asthma shouldn't go. There was really no guidance on how to react. Like, I fear for any mass evacuations happening in Ontario when they can't even figure out what to tell us when the air is just filled with smoke. Like, I really would have no idea what to do or, or, or where to go in that condition. And I have no faith that our authorities even give a shit watching them, you know, see BC and see all of this and be like, yeah, even their own budget. They're like, no, we're going to cut that in half. Like, so forest fires are just going to half themselves, even though you're doing nothing about climate justice or land management. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, even... J.P. Hornick, like our favorite labor leader in Ontario, well, mine, <laughs> um, they reported to the CBC that last year in Ontario, when we're talking about forest fires, we were short 23 crews, and this year we're short 50 crews. So, you know, there really are very few communities in Ontario that wouldn't be in a situation with a wildfire, you know? like I know that... It doesn't need saying, but just the level of financial irresponsibility from conservatives around this is truly stunning. I mean, you know, like it takes a certain audacity here because the the cost that and the damages in everything that is going to be needed to be addressed by not planning for this by not preparing for this by continuing to invest in fossil fuels it's going to cost so much you know i would you know like i was I, one thing i think about a lot is like be, just because it's a personal anecdote uh, anecdote is um my stepmom she has a relative who lives in california who a few years ago you know their entire neighborhood burnt down right and they only recently got like the replacement um built but um you know, just thinking about, like, first of all, the trauma that your entire neighborhood is, everything you know, every all the places you go, everywhere you spend time, wiped off the map. And then also, so, like, there's the personal trauma of that, but then there's also just, like, how much does it cost to build an entirely new neighborhood to replace that? You know, like the continued cost of this every time that there's like and it's not just fires right hurricanes are getting stronger right so when a hurricane wipes a city off like the cost of addressing that you know it's it's so much more than what it costs to actually address climate change than what it costs to convert to renewable technologies to do what we we already have the ability to do the financially responsible decision I mean, at this point, it is, it, I mean, I don't even know if, if, if social murder goes far enough because the scale of the cost of human life that we are going to see from this goes beyond just simply defining it as social murder. I, I think it's more severe. Like, this is an active complacency in the destruction of lives that it's, it's, it's in it's horrible like i don't think there is a word to describe it you know I, i'm thinking of other terms that we use to describe like large losses of life or deliberate actions and and really none of them fully encapsulate what our leaders are doing with the lack of climate action and on top of that then the lack of mitigation you know if you're not going to do anything about climate what are you going to do about the forest fires or the resultant 
actions that are going to come from it. And we're finding out like absolutely nothing or less than nothing. Like they're going to start stripping whatever supports that were there and, you know, doing nothing with them. It's, it's a complete failure, but also again, always that onus is on us too, because we have been very complacent uh, in allowing folks like Ford to completely decimate the province, including, mind you, the 2019 budget was awful. And that was the smallest red flag that was seen, you know, in terms of the forest fire budget. So how do you fight on all of those fronts? But, you know, it it's a daunting task, frankly. But there are, you know, Everyone goes on, forest fires are natural, right? I just wanted to add to like that economic cost that you mentioned I wanted to bring up. There's a real environmental impact as well of this many forest fires, right? Like the emissions that go into the environment from, from and remember, every province almost is having a record-breaking year. That means the country is also, if you look at the numbers there, they've almost doubled last year's in terms of the area that's been destroyed. And they're on pace to match and surpass 2021, which was just absolutely devastating. And we've seen no increased reaction on any front. And it is possible to set up systems uh, that allow for preparedness and responsiveness to these, these disasters, right? On top of that, Indigenous knowledge has been suggested, obviously, for a long time to be incorporated in preventing forest fires, right? Whereas the Western approach team seems to be to just try to put them out, all these different ways to put them out. And, and we do use controlled burning to a degree, but, you know, it doesn't come with that stewardship, right? That responsibility to the land, that constant maintenance uh, that it requires in order, you know, to live in balance. We just, we don't apply that whatsoever to how we address this you wanted to talk about kind of local being able to respond kind of locally and incorporating that before you do I'm just gonna like I looked up the Cuban example that's often been touted for hurricane responsiveness like they they have notoriously low um mortality rates when it comes to natural disasters like hurricanes. And that's because, you know, they spend part of their very limited budget in Cuba on preparing people, on putting services in place, of turning primary schools into shelters that incorporate people and their animals, and providing locations for folks to store their valuables where they won't be damaged, even if the structure that they live in is destroyed. And, you know, they get seven days warning, like really, really intensive warning and drills. So everyone tends to know exactly what to do in an emergency. Even with, you can imagine how stringent the budget is in Cuba and their need to prioritize different things, but surely um, preventing the loss of life is, is one that should be prioritized over, you know, another $13 billion for the LNG pipeline or for the Trans Mountain pipeline, you know, um, really skewed priorities. But, you know, we saw a lot of people weren't getting the supports that they needed right? They didn't have anywhere to evacuate to. They couldn't access the funds that were supposed to be accessible to them. Much of what's 
only offered in Canada is really monetary. You know, you might get a, a check from Red Cross that's been matched by the federal government and maybe a shelter is set up in the town next to you, but that's really it in terms of supports. You know, I feel like we can do better there. Yeah, no, I mean, there's so much more that needs to be done in terms of supporting people. And I think the reality that we kind of have to start wrapping our heads around is the fact that, you know, fighting climate change, absolutely a priority, but we need to start planning around how we are going to help people through the very real consequences of climate change that we are going to be seeing more and more right it's it, it, it's too late to prevent that and we are going to see more and more catastrophes and now we have to do what we can to help people through that and the reality is that there's government response is not enough uh it will never be enough they 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 can they can try but it will not be enough and we need to take this as an opportunity to organize our communities to be able to respond and to support each other through this because at the end of the day that's more effective than any government response as well anything that would come from the government has to be working with the community and we need to start yeah we need to start thinking about that because how many people have seriously thought and put a plan in place for any catastrophe like you know that that's something i i remember when i was a kid that used to get talked about a bit more you know having like uh enough fresh water and you know stuff like that but the reality is that for most of us like i haven't heard anything about that since my childhood um i certainly don't think about it most people don't think about it it's it's not something a lot of us are ready for and we need to prepare not just ourselves but prepare to help others and and because like we saw what happened in Alberta right like people were left very confused very stranded uh, I know a lot of people who couldn't get uh, access to the funds that they were providing for relief there was all kinds of issues there and and it's not okay it's not enough to just like see this and say this is wrong do better like I, I think we really have to kind of do it ourselves a little bit um because that's just this government who caused this the same people who caused this don't give a fuck about helping the people who are now suffering the consequence you know they're they're not going to care about that see here's where i start to get like you saw my face kind of screw up a little bit because like it's that tr that catch 22 and yes of course we always need mutual aid but like setting up systems to respond to this like that is what government is for we know it is possible for governments to fund it and structure it and still really closely incorporate the local right i read a couple examples of folks genuinely incorporating let that indigenous knowledge that we were talking about earlier that doesn't just help in preventing forest fires but also you know learning how fire behaves on the landscape, planning access and escape routes, real kind of pr the needs of every particular community will be different. So the need to incorporate that on that local level or fund 
local agencies like health agencies, but then empower them. I think the model that we use is we hardly fund them and then we strip them of most of their autonomy and they have, you know, for an example, in Ontario, these local health agencies having to use the resources to explain, you know, what to do when there's smoke in your air rather than actually responding to folks that might need help. Because that's the that's the job of the government. And if we take that over the same way food banks have existed rather than demanding like kind of a structural change, I get kind of frustrated. But in the meantime, people are without a home, without resources. And yeah, because I remember when the the floods out east happened, you know, I took real issue with the federal government promoting the donation match program that they have with the Red Cross And I know it's something that's normally done, but again, it was like that reliance on philanthropy, on donations, when our tax dollars totally could cover this with better choices, you know, that we've talked about a million times on the show. And they don't. Like, it's like... No, and and to be clear, I I don't mean uh, that model of, like, donations and stuff like that. Like, But what I do mean is that, like, it's, it's... it's going to get bad, right? Like what happens when a, a community is destroyed, you know, when it, when it's wiped off the mat, like there, there's, there's more than just financial needs, you know, like when you talk about uh, health and you talk about, I mean, there, there's physical health, but there's also like your social and mental well-being. And these are things that we need to come together as a community to support. That's things that donations can't give you, you know? And um, it is, I just I I have like looking at this and looking at this response, I just really have the feeling that we're not ready for that, and and you see it in, in Alberta, a, a province that like obviously doesn't care and like the very mediocre efforts that they made, right? And I guess that's just the reality that it's it's gonna take it's gonna take some coming together in a in a new kind of way because help isn't coming and i guess that's me being very pessimistic right now but that is the reality that it's gonna get really bad and it's gonna continue to get bad and there's ways that we can take that and make it a little bit less bad and then also through that hopefully lead to other actions as well it's not enough to just you know organized to support each other but then maybe organized to i keep thinking and and this might be not the best thing to say but i keep thinking of like this line from uh from the hunger games actually the fire is catching and if we burn you burn with us you're talking to the rich i'm saying that like to the cat at, at like at what point do you do you shut things down right at what point is it like oh our community is being wiped off the map no you don't get to pretend like that's not happening you don't get to pretend like life goes on you know when you talk about why a society like why do we tolerate a government's existence is that social contract right and what is happening right now is a violation in every form of that social contract and i sound yeah i know how i sound but the reality is that I'm nodding my head. You sound like I, you're preaching to the choir. Here. I'm I'm with you. I still see a lot of deflection. I I'm with you though. I do hold promise, just also because of my personal experience. Right, like it upped it a notch 
in my mind, you know, in terms of prioritization or urgency or, or whatever it is, militancy, maybe even. But I'm, I'm still also seeing a lot of deflection, a lot of blame Canada, not climate change, you know, or where we're calling it the Quebec wildfires. It's still removing us a step and the smoke is clearing. So, you know, I'm afraid it's got to get it's got to get worse before you'll actually see, you know, oh, the will. voting populace of New York or Toronto or Ottawa really make those connections because, you know, this will be old news to- in a week. They're going to forget about this in a week. Like, right? I, I Trump's know that. already been indicted for something else. Right. We've moved on. Yeah. No, I, I know that this is this is going to be old news really quick, but it's also the reality is that this is going to keep happening. And this fire, all things considered, um, I mean, the smoke's bad, but it is pretty mild um, versus a lot of other things that are going to be happening. Um, so, yeah, it's more of just like, I guess, another attempt at warning people. But and I don't even know, like, obviously, with this audience preaching to the choir a little bit. But I, I had I just had like a certain amount of frustration that I need to get out, like I, I because just what the, what the hell, right? Like, like how did we get here? I know how we got here. But, yeah, no, I don't know. It's okay. And it's like, not we don't always have a solution on how to get out of it. But, you know, looking to that local model and other places that, you know, do respond adequately. But, again, you know, that's reactionary. A necessity, right? We now do have to react to climate change. It is affecting us. It's not an arbitrary thing, at least to the people of southeastern Ontario uh, or, you know, anyone even closer in proximity to those fires. But, yeah, I guess it's just what people will do with that anxiety or that that new sense of urgency because there's no doubt I am not alone in my experience here in Ontario and that the people of New York are not as naive to just simply blame Canada or blame Trudeau or blame arsonists on this. This is this is a pattern and this is just the beginning of the summer. So, yeah, I I think about in this situation, I think about like young people who are growing up in this world where, you know, they've been they've been warning about this because this has been kind of like the theme, you know of 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 their generation is like you know that climate anxiety that climate change is gonna because they're actually gonna live through it too like they're gonna live through the what happens 20 years from now 30 40 years from now when like i mean if this is happening now you can only imagine how much worse it's gonna get and so but it's also like at the same time everything is bad right housing is bad no one can afford housing food insecurity all these things and it's like you know how much can you push people how much can you push people before like there's not enough left to maintain that social contract and that that's what i'm thinking about right now it's just like i think some people a lot of people and like this is partly what our show is about even though we didn't really hit on it today is they've lost the means to challenge that social contract to ensure that their end of the deal is upheld. You know, there are ways to punish the populace. Should we 
not uphold our end, right? But the mechanisms available to us that we're willing to take are less and less and less and, and more risky and require more of a time and energy commitment than ever. And so, yeah, you better hope that this smoke has stirred this little extra bit of energy, at least in folks who weren't engaged in climate activism already. I I would like to see an uptick in some of those memberships, you know, in some of the organizations that are actively trying, like our last guest, like TTC Riders and all the different avenues folks have to, to fight climate change. But um, yeah, there's there's no denying that the human impact is already here and we've got to search for solutions on how to support folks because we didn't mention it, but as with almost all other issues, it will hit marginalized people more economically. You know, like they talk about it on a global scale, how like the, the global South will experience it disproportionately and they are already disproportionately uh, more, <laughs> le have less economic power, you know, than the Northern Hemisphere and how that allows us to kind of absolve ourselves of really acting right now because it's not going to affect us right away. But that's getting harder and harder to sell at this point. Um, and yeah, like it, it's folks that don't have air filters at home who need to he keep the window open because it's hot as hell in their apartment on the 22nd floor. Like, And it's workers who have to work outside in these conditions regardless. You know, the Think about like agriculture, like all the migrant agriculture workers who, are, you know, they don't, they don't have uh, the opportunity to stay safe from this. And, you know, going outside for like 30 minutes felt like shit. I can't imagine what having to work, do hard labor outside all day, how that must feel. That must feel awful. And I heard so few birds this morning. That's usually what wakes me up. It's about 5.30 that the birds really start annoying the shit out of me <laughs> on most mornings. But this morning, it was like one one fella out there. And I was waiting for the other ones to chime in. And I'm not feeling all that great about that. It That caused a whole level of anxiety that I couldn't imagine. Like we talk about workers not being able to get in. Like animals cannot escape this not in any meaningful way. And the environmental impact of all of these fires is even yet to be told, right? These are these are record levels. So I hope folks get a new sense of urgency around this and, you know, put the pressures where they need to be. And because the reality is we need, we need to step up in Ontario because in terms of climate activism, you know, we talk about how there's not a lot of it going on here. You know, like the, when, when people look for where to get involved, there's, there's not a lot of places to turn. There really needs to be a lot more happening here. And hopefully, I mean, you see BC how how much more climate activism there is in BC, right? There, I feel like they're looking at us going, you guys are like 10 years behind on this climate anxiety, like living through the heat dome and watching the fires that have been raging there for the past, I think you know, gave them a, a spur that we've not ex had, not to mention, you know, they have higher industries that are contributing to climate change. 
over there, but you know, we certainly have to get our asses in gear. I think I'll give a shout out to the guardians of the green belt here who are doing everything they can to, you know, help protect the forests that we do have from development. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think also if people really want to like have someone to, to, to blame specifically, like being me being here in Toronto, like I want to see people go down to Bay street and just, make some noise you know uh point some fingers same thing with with wall street you know in new york all, all the new yorkers who are dealing with that like your 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 problem is right there you know i I could walk to bay street right now like i i think we're not holding like we need to start like actively making the lives of of the people responsible uncomfortable you know there shouldn't there shouldn't be time that goes by where they're allowed to go on and keep you know making those investments and keep destroying the planet and acting like everything's fine like there needs to be i i we need like a shutdown bay street movement right now you know like uh and and i know like occupy wall street was in the end not too much changed so so we need to learn from also like the mistakes of that but i was just thinking about how france is in in month i don't even know what number month three four however long they've been protesting right that's the energy we need right now right like i i really hope people will at some point realize that there's no asking nicely there's no hoping that things will change we keep hoping that you know oh well when things get bad enough they'll see how bad it is and then they'll do something and they'll make some machines to absorb all the carbon and everything will be fine like no that that's not gonna happen and i know like that's just i i keep ranting about this all episode and it's just my anger really coming through at this because i am so fed up with this and that's really just where i'm at right now is i'm just completely fed up but i really like we we need to get out there. We need to start shutting things down because how much longer do we want to wait? Like, do we want to wait until the fires aren't in rural Quebec and suddenly it's not 14,000 people, but hundreds of thousands of people being displaced? Is is that enough? Like, is there like a number of human people displaced? That's enough. Is there like a number of communities burning down? That's enough. Like, do we need to go through a month in smoke? Do we have to block out the sun? Do we have to bring a whole new ice age? Like, what what does it take? You know, like, like, what what point do we say, like, no, actually, you don't get to keep doing business as usual. You have violated uh, our agreement and we're going to stop you. You don't get to keep doing this. Like, at some point that needs to happen. And I'm and I, and I don't want. To wait for a single more person to be affected by this before we do that and there's a certain i also acknowledge there's a certain amount of like privilege with in the sense that like what like yeah like not not so much privilege isn't the right word but like the fact that yeah it's real for me right now because you know you see the smoke you smell the smoke but and i know that like people all over the world has been have been living this reality for a, a while now but you know, sometimes things have to happen to you, for you to, to fully grasp it. And I mean, we've been angry about that this year for for forever, anyways. Like we, I've been yelling about this forever. But now it's really like, oh come on, oh come on now. 
anyways, that's 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 my spiel. I think the models that you're suggesting, you know, that we didn't quite hash out here, but the local models of mutual aid and connectiveness that we talk about a lot, like to almost address every issue we've ever talked about on the show, right? You know, that Black Panther model, there's all kinds of examples you can go to. If those were in a robust state, right, and that working class consciousness was heightened, you know, through these activities, then I think we'd be in a better position to hold the people accountable to shut down Bay Street with tact, you know, and purpose and and be successful. So not only do those networks hold the key to making sure as few people as possible suffer from wildfires, which would exist without climate change. It's still something, you know, you'd have to prepare for and react to. But creating networks in a different way, in the way that we suggest that, you know, that work in other places, I think would open more doors in terms of solving more problems too. So we will keep trying to talk about that and and give folks a little more guidance on that. That is a wrap on another episode of Blueprints of Disruption. Thank you for joining us. Also, a very big thank you to the producer of our show, Santiago Halu Quintero. Blueprints of Disruption is an independent production operated cooperatively. You can follow us on Twitter at BP of Disruption. If you'd like to help us continue disrupting the status quo, please share our content. And if you have the means, consider becoming a patron. Not only does our support come from the progressive community, so does our content. So reach out to us and let us know what or who we should be amplifying. So until next time, keep disrupting.